Welcome to The Refuge, a CERC podcast to share our research with practitioners and communities. I'm your host, Israel, and my guests today are Fazia Almaki, a PhD candidate in Autolabat Family School of Nursing at Western University. Fazia's primary research interest is in the area of health and social equalities in disadvantaged populations. I also have Mahmoud Saeed, originally from Afghanistan, grew up in the Middle East. He came to Canada in 2015. He has been working with the youth outreach team for five years at the YMCA Center for Immigrant Programs. Syed is currently working towards a Bachelor of Arts in Dalhousie University, plans to switch his major to an X-ray technician. Finally, we have Abdul Al-Sadan, the Child and Youth Settlement Manager at the YMCA Center for Immigrant Programs and has worked in the settlement sector for several years. Uh, raised in the Middle East, US and Australia, Abdul sees settlement from various perspectives and believes there's not a one-size-fit-all approach to successful newcomer programs. Uh, today, I just want to talk about youths and their involvement in the community. Do you want to start with you, uh, Abdul, share your experience of youths working in communities? Uh, certainly. Thank you very much for the, Im- for the invite. So um, including youth in all types of programming that are that is tailored for them uh, is very essential. Um, making sure that youth feel included academically, making ensuring that youth have uh, extracurricular activities they can partake in. Uh, in essence, youth are our future. So having programs that are, that are tailor-made for them, for each demographic, um, is uh, essential to their development, essential to their academic success, uh, essential to their integration into the community. Um, it is the bedrock of their development. Mm. And Syed, what's your experience with that? Uh, my experience is uh, I was a youth by myself. So when I started coming in, I was a youth participating in the youth outreach program. And uh, I really felt comfortable through doing that. And when I become a staff finally with them, I knew why did I feel comfortable because I see them. We put youth in the top of our list. They plan everything. For example, if we have a leadership, they come with an idea, the topic that we're going to tackle, how we can tackle it, when and where and for who. And uh, that shows that the youth will come. For the most important thing is the youth to feel comfortable and they decide what they will have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm Fazia. Um, so talking about my experience in working with uh, refugee youth, um, and particularly from a research uh, point of view, is that I personally enjoyed it a lot. And the fact that um, youth were very open and happy to share their experiences with us. And as you know, settlement experiences is a difficult one. And so to have someone um, openly share what they go through and experience different uh, of difficult and complex feelings is not an easy thing. And imagine that is happening with or, or coming from people who are just still 
starting their life, their youth, their their young, and and so I I, I very much appreciate that one thing. And the other thing is that the amount of how they become um, uh, open and happy to share these kind of experiences just allow us to both come together and create knowledge in terms of how refugee youth um, settlement experience is going uh, or happening in different countries. Mm. Mm. You know, three of you have mentioned something that just stand out in your in your re- responses, and that's how important it is to have the youth involved, I guess, in the creation or the planning of whether it's the research or the programming. Now, just start with you again, Fazia. Why is that important? I think having having youth engaged um, in research project or community project in general is a is a very critical point um, to consider when planning uh, programs or research project because first they would be able to share their own experiences and that will allow them to have a voice because again everyone can talk about whatever experience in this in this in this life right but mm. those people who are living that experience and going through that circumstances or specific circumstances will always give you the genuine um uh, reality and the the other thing is that because we are talking about youth experience in moving from a country to another so it's basically their story, so they own it. So this is something uh, that we try our best in 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 um, designing research project is to cons- to find way to consider how youth can um, implement their own ways of uh, creating knowledge in research. So, for example, um, we try our best to create um, a safe space, a big space enough for youth to design the way that we want to go about um, the research itself. So at the end, Mm. they will have a voice by speaking about their own experience and um, they will will own it and and will make sure that our conclusion will exactly um, describe how they they go about their experience. Mm. 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 Abdul, do you want to add to that? Uh, Certainly. Involving youth in programming or having programs, uh, whether it's academic support, whether it's uh, support uh, in youth programs, uh, leadership programs, getting them involved and getting their their feedback is essential. Because if you're designing a program and you're not in touch with the youth, the certain demographic in that youth that you're trying to target, that program most likely will not be successful. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to engage with youth. At the end of the day, you're dealing with with people. People have emotions. People react to things. People have certain needs. Mm-hmm. And how do you identify these needs? Is by building a relationship with the youth. Then coming back to the drawing board, engaging them in the in the designing and implementation of these programs. And these programs will be successful as long as you you, you maintain that bridge with the youth. There's no point designing a program if youth did not ask for. Because it's it's not it's not what they're looking for. Mm. Mm. So, um, could you share any experience you had or an example of being involved in the creation of a, a program? <clears throat> uh, of course. So, uh, 
uh, uh, being the youth that doing the programming or being participating in the programming, it's an important thing for the youth to feel comfortable doing that thing. If the youth uh, didn't want to do that or they we just forced them to do that, they're not going to feel comfortable. They're not going to do the effort that would do if they made their own programming or their own topic they want to do. Mm-hmm. For me, as a, when I was a youth, um, I always had the chance to choose between few topics or to come up with my own topic to talk about, which has made me feel more comfortable because I already have experience with this topic, I've been through that. I've been, I've seen through that. I can talk about it. But when you have other topics that I really don't know anything about, I will not feel comfortable as much as the, the topic that I know. And the same thing for me now as a staff, I always try to make the youth choose the topic they want. To I want to see the topic that they're most lively about, the most they want to talk about. So that's the topic we choose always, yeah. Mm. You know, we're mentioning this and I'm thinking uh, growing up, there are some things or experiences I'll go through that I have difficulties sharing. What are some ways, Abdul, that you found in making, I guess, making it easier for the you to share, especially if they've had traumatic experiences before they moved to Canada? That's an excellent question. An excellent question. Um, in our experiences, uh, you first have to get to know the youth. You have to develop a relationship with them. You have to listen to them. Um, and over and above everything, uh, not judge and not um, speed up the process and how they want to open up. So you have to connect with them and then they will tell you what they're going through if they feel comfortable. That may take one week. That may take one month. That may, that may take six months. But if you can develop that relationship of trust, that relationship of um, professionalism within the youth programs, um, you can connect with the youth and then they begin to open up. They begin to tell you their problems. They they begin to tell you their obstacles, what's working, what's not working. Um, And the reason why I I really related to your question is when I look back at my, my, my childhood, I, the educators and the youth uh, uh, workers that still resonate with me today, 45 years later, mm. um, are the ones that, that actually listened to me, that sat down and said, you know, how, how are you feeling? What's going on? And that genuinely cared. Fazia? Mm. Mm. So, um, you know, um, working in academia and conducting research doesn't give us always the, the, the luxury that community partners usually have uh, with youth in terms of time. So it will allow them to mm. build and create, you know, um, a deeper relationship with them. But unfortunately, uh, specifically when you're running a, a research project for for four months, then you only have these, these four months to build um, that strong connection, if you want, with, with your participants. And so... Uh, mm. With, with with in this in this in the the latest project that we we conducted with the refugee youth, um, although we have a short time to connect with them, but um, the positive thing is that we had um, a month before uh, starting any uh, data collection activity is um, to prepare um, a, a group a specific group of youth on how to do data collection for us and how to. 
uh, mentor their 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 friends, their peers, because we understand that us coming into the the project as a researcher and trying to build this uh, a rapid relationship with them in in a, in a month wouldn't give the same impact if their peer uh, themselves would be uh, trained enough to do that for us. So so we trained um, seven co-researchers. Um, they are refugee youth from the same community and explained um, almost um, all the, the research um, part for them and then the practical part. And so they, ha- they have played a role in the middle between us, the, the academia, and the... Um, the, the targeted target population, the, the, the youth. And I think that was an excellent approach to go about because then the feedback that we got was uh, really powerful. Mm. Mm. Do you have anything to add to that, <clears throat> Sorry. As a staff, I mean, the most, our most important thing is to have the youth feel comfortable around us. And if they not feeling comfortable, they're not gonna share the experience and they will stay closed up. So the more thing, the major thing we can do is have the youth make uh, friends in the program. Like for example, if we're going to play on any kind of sports, uh, if they have, there's anyone speak their languages, or if not, we can make friends, have friends with them that will make them feel more comfortable, open up to the staff and to the other youth, for sure, yeah. Mm. What? Did you, what are some other barriers you need to step up from language and what ways did you overcome that or work with that? Sure. So um, the good thing is that um, we, in planning on how to do this research, um, I myself speak Arabic. It's my first language. So um, that was helpful in uh you know, um, doing research with uh, Arabic-speaking refugee youth. Um, This is one thing. But the other thing is that the thing that we have been um, hearing from our our refugee youth um, is that language was one barrier uh, for them to integrate in Canada. But that was happening for a little bit of of time. So when they arrived for the first year, that was a problem. That was a problem to make friends. That was a problem to understand the school system. That was a problem for them to understand specifically for for those youth who were uh, in in the beginning of the high school. So it was difficult for them to comprehend the school system, to understand what courses they need to have in order to apply for a specific major in university. And that was a setback for them, um, especially when when they are the oldest siblings in the family, so no guidance uh, they have before. And so, but then in in general, they have this difficulty for one year. But once they start to unlock the the English language, they start to achieve a level of integration. But that will take them to another level of understanding um, the uh, the discourse around them in school and communities. So they would be more, um, they will be more exposure to racism and discrimination since they start to, to understand what is going on. Um, and so this is one thing. Um, positive and negative about you know um, achieving a certain level of uh, in in um, in mastering the language. You know, Fazia, thanks for sharing that. And I'm wondering, uh, on your end, Abdul, 
apart from language barriers, or, or I guess, what are some examples of language barriers you've seen and how did you tackle that? Working with schools, when you have a new student that comes from overseas, whether they're a newcomer youth or a refugee youth, um, and they, they're not understanding what's going on because obviously the language barrier. Mm. And then when I speak to our partners and our, the, the, the organizations that we collaborate with, I try to kind of just give the example of how you would feel as a provider, as a youth worker, if you were in a country that you did not speak the language, mm. how would you go about your how would you go about your daily business up until you learn the language, assuming that no one spoke English or French or what have you? So language and not being able to communicate with your fellow kids in school uh, is very cha challenging. It, it increases isolation. It it, it makes things adjusting for them more difficult. So that's why we encourage during youth programming, programming, yes, speak your own language if you have someone that speaks your own language, but also be aware that other people may not know what you're trying to speak. So if one person speaks English, maybe have that person repeat what is being said to another youth in the, in the program, to be inclusive. But speaking your own language while you're learning one of the official languages of, of Canada is not is not a bad thing. You're you're you have to be able to communicate and you have to be able to relate to other people. Mm. And language is is the 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 way that people do that. Fazia, mm. mm. do you have something to add to that? I think um, there is one um, a positive aspect to language difficulties for youth is that. Um, after some time, when they start to speak the language uh, and to comprehend a lot of, uh, you know, um, um, conversations around them, is that they become the translators for their families. So uh. it's not only that they will be using the language for their own progress in school and community and making friends and, you know, just to prosper alone, but um, they will also be um, helping their their younger siblings in in school because of the, mm. the language ability that they start to to develop. They will be joining their parents if they have if they are having uh, appointments or something else outside, and the, the the parents will usually depend on them, and and this is become it becomes an asset for the family. Um, so so at the beginning it become it's a little bit difficult for them. For six months, a year, and then they just explode in terms of using the language. Mm, mm. Say, so, do you see any other benefits of having youths involved in working with communities or programs like at the YMCA? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of benefits uh, joining the program, and one of them, as we're talking about the language, of course, and having someone that doesn't speak the language or any of the youth or the staff doesn't speak his language or her language or their language it makes it uh, really challenging for us to communicate or like to have uh, communication with them or to have anything planned with them but it's a great thing for them to come and join us because when they be doing that we have a lot of lovely youth around us and they will try to speak English with them. Even if they don't understand, they will pop up the Google translation. They will translate some few words. And with the time, they become best friends and they talk. We actually had a few youth that uh, happened to them like that. And now they are friends. And both of them now started from zero. They couldn't speak any 
uh, English together and they didn't have the common language either. So the, all they did is hand sign for like the rest of six months, seven months. After that, they start learning more English, start talking a little bit. Now I look at them and I'm really proud of them. You know? Wow, that's a wonderful story. Uh, Abdul, um, do you have any benefits you've, used, you've noticed in the youths for themselves by uh, participating in any of the programs? Absolutely. I mean, youth need a lot of support in schools. Youth need support in employment. Um, these youth-led programs uh, are act, act as a safety net. And us as service providers and working with newcomer youth, we have to be able to, to relate to them, to have programs that are suited for them, that have added value to their integration process. And one thing I, um, I just kind of like to touch on is the systemic barriers or obstacles that they may face in the system. We have to advocate for them. Mm. It's okay to disagree with another service provider and say, no, listen, I know this youth. I've been working with this youth. This youth has said their issue is ABC. Explain the youth. Because sometimes the youth, um, especially when it comes to cultural competencies with other organizations or um, or them accessing services, you have to be able to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. And you can advocate for them most effectively and most efficiently is when you know their needs mm -hmm. and you know your and when you know the youth and what is um, what they're looking for. That's how you identify their needs. To run of this conversation i'm gonna let you if there's anything else you want to add i'll start with you saeed uh i think we t we talked about the most important points and uh, of course uh one of the most common thing is i'll say that a lot of youth will experience different kind of discrimination in their school outside their school uh, the sport team because of the language they don't speak or even some uh, uh, mental illness, uh, whatever. And of course, that uh, uh, will affect the youth really bad. So I say every youth are smart, even though they don't speak the language. Every youth have the mm. ability to do what every other kid can do, but they didn't have the experience that kid had. So a lot of the youth that came from over the sea because of civil war or the thing have experienced uh, war or even or even any uh, civil war, uh, losing family members, uh, being stopped from education for years, uh, going to different country, and uh, of course that affects the youth. I'll say that I just want to say that the youth are are like the youth are for us to grow up quicker than the youth are in Canada who grew up here. So you might feel the youth are more mature or more responsible. But that's a normal thing. It will take some time for them to get back to what their age is. But we need, they need the support to mm. do that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Fazia? Um, yeah, sure. So I think I have just two points uh, here to mention quickly. Is the first one, um, the, the collaboration with a community partner that we have um, extremely benefits from because they work as um, as a... Um, as a, a window to connect us with uh, uh, refugee youth. And the second thing is just that the idea um, or the point that Abdul uh, uh, brought up is the institutional barriers. 
So part of that is also the systemic systematic barriers where youth find themselves in a situation where they feel like they are responsible for their family um, situations. So no matter how much they progress in terms of language and community engagement, um, doing good in school, this, there is still this feelings of t- um, t- having the responsibility and carrying the responsibility of helping their family. If their families are in a situation where they are financially broken, I promise you, they will take it on their on their, on their own. Um, and that may hinder them and bring them back um, or hold them back uh, from progressing well in school and, and so on. So, yeah, I mean, um, institutionals and institutional barriers and systematic barrier are two things that are related to each other and they usually affect the progress of youth in terms of integration in, the, in a new country. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. And Abdul? Anything you'd love to add? Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. I, I, I really do believe that when dealing with refugee youth, when dealing with newcomer youth, um, there is each youth is individual. Um, they're all individual people. They have their own circumstances. And not to group uh, youth together uh, and to assist youth individually, get to know them. Uh, so in the academic system, you may have two youth who are refugees. One may excel in one area, one may struggle in one area, and then you have all these um, barriers that they have to overcome. But just to, um, each youth is different. They have their own set of needs. And you, I really do believe that once you get to know the youth, get to know your target, your demographic, um, you can help them navigate through things better. Because uh, in my experiences, I've dealt with youth that ha- have, they faced discrimination. Mm-hmm. They're still processing what that is. They, they still are not mature enough to know what's going on, but their instinct is telling them, I'm being treated differently. I'm being looked at differently. Mm-hmm. And um, as a service provider, you have to support that youth. And if need be, speak to whoever they're facing that issue with and say, no, listen, this is the way it is. Um, so I, I really can't stress enough how when it comes to community work, getting to um, assist youth, you have to know your, your, your demographic. You have to invest in the community and that, and that investment comes in time. Mm. Reaching out to them, having them at the center, getting to know them, getting to know their, their issues. Because without that, you won't be able to, to successfully help them navigate through, 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 through things. Being a teenager or being a youth is, is hard in of itself, mm. <laughs> much less if you're a newcomer, refugee, new language. Um, the, 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 the obstacles are many. Wow. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation and for the great work you do with the youths in the community. And also, thank you for coming to the refuge today. Thank you very much for the invite. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a good day.